Every one of us have conscious, felt needs. All of us do. The way you feel about the things that you need or how you define what you need is by where you feel like you are. You can find yourself in many places. You can find yourself hungry. You can find yourself thirsty. You can find yourself with a myriad of physical needs, emotional needs. You know you have them. There's a need for companionship. Sometimes you just simply say, I need help. I wish somebody would help me. Maybe you don't say it out loud, but you feel it inside. So many of us need healing. We can't heal ourselves. We ask God to take away our cough, our cancer. We are totally dependent upon him to meet all of our needs. We need guidance and we need direction. Sometimes we don't know what to do. And we ask for it. We seek it. We, we look for counsel. But all of these things, dear people of God, have a spiritual dimension. Where are we spiritually? How should we feel? How should you feel about where you are? Our real spiritual need is entirely dependent upon who and what we are spiritually. The, the Bible speaks of us as being grass. All flesh is grass. We're like the flower that fades and falls off. We're like, we're like a little vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Psalm 49 says two times, man in his pomp will not remain. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. We are sometimes like the cows that I see when I'm riding my bike. They live to eat, to sleep, to drink, to reproduce. Ooh, there's a lot of that in humanity, very simply put. But Isaiah 53, 6, uh, concerning our theme today, says very plainly, here is where we were, here is where we do not have to stay, but here is where we all start. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. In their natural state, when you think of sheep, you think of them as being helpless. They are defenseless. They are vulnerable creatures. You've never heard of a ferocious sheep. You're never going to run from a, a lamb. You're not going to do that. They are dependent, and whether they know it or not, they are dependent upon a shepherd, of someone to take care of them. They may be very useful because they do produce wool, although they do not surrender it voluntarily, but they do produce it. Sheep are also prone to wander. They're prone to get lost. They can be self-willed and pretty much do as they please. That's how we are, sheep astray. If, if we're not with Jesus, if we've not closed, closed with him as our shepherd, that's the way we are. They can place themselves in the path of destruction. Unbeknownst to themselves, they have natural predatory enemies. There are bears, there are wolves, there are lions in the context in, in which this text was written. They can fall in a ditch, they can get caught in a thicket, they can injure themselves, they can get sick, they can contract diseases, and they can die. 
This being the case, dear congregation, this being the case, the greatest need that we have, whether you feel it or not, the greatest need you have is to have a shepherd. You need a caretaker. You need someone to watch out for you. You need someone to heal you. You need someone to feed you. You need someone to take care of you. You are not independent. You are not autonomous. You, you need a shepherd. That's what we have. Hallelujah. That's what we have. In John chapter 10. Where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. We'll look at this passage then, God helping us in under six headings, maybe seven. He is a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's a contrast shepherd. He's a different kind of shepherd. A shepherd. He's a sacrificial shepherd. He is an intimate shepherd. He is an effectual shepherd. He is an ever living shepherd. Maybe we can cover them all. Maybe we'll have to blend some of them together. He is a shepherd. He is the shepherd, then, number one. What did that mean in, in that context, in the time in, in, in which it was written? Well, it simply means the, the very things that come to your minds. It means to be a caretaker, a defender, a protector, a provider, one who would feed them, a seeker after those who stray. That's what he would do. He would build up the injured Ezekiel 34 speaks of, of what a shepherd should be and what the shepherd of Israel's were not. If you have time this afternoon, look at Ezekiel 34. But you remember in Genesis 46, when Joseph told his family what they should say their occupation was and how they answered... Your servants have been keepers of livestock uh, from our youth even until now. Both we and our fathers. In, say that. Say that in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the e Egyptians. So at least we can say this much about that. It, it, it's not a place of high standing. It's a humble place. It's a serving place. And in the eyes of this pagan culture, it was actually an abomination. They couldn't stand shepherds, but they liked what they got from them. Well, Christ proclaims himself to be a servant. He is the servant. And he will do all of these menial and necessary tasks for the sheep. He says of himself, but whoever would be great, he says it to us, he speaks of himself. Is there anybody here that would like to be great for the glory of God? Not great in in the world necessarily. But if you want to be great, here's what he says. He says, if there's anyone who would be great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for all. For many. If you want to be great at Heritage Baptist Church, if you want to be a glorious person here, be a servant. Be a servant. The people that you admire most, that you treasure most, are the ones who serve, the ones who give, the ones who say they'll pray for you, 
no sweeter words to hear. And, and if, if you know somebody really means it, I'll pray for you. That person that serves you is the one that you admire. Be that person. Be a serving person. Well, in, in the second place then, he's not only a shepherd, he's not only a servant, he's not only willing uh, to take those menial tasks and do all of that providing and, pro- and protecting and defending. He's called a good shepherd. This is an awesome word. It is the Greek word kalos, kalos, kalos. Kalos, it's used 76 times in, in this gospel. Arthur Pink is really quick to point out that the first time the word use is used ever uh, in the New Testament is sometimes very, very helpful. The first time the word good is used is, is in Matthew 3.10 where Jesus says every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What does that tell us about the word good? It means it's something very special. How can you bear good fruit? It's only, it's only because of grace. It's only because of divine activity in your life can you bring forth anything good. So the word good can mean Divine and spiritual. That's the kind of shepherd he is. The first time it's used in the Gospel of John is in chapter 2 and verse 10. When uh, it's found in, at, at, the, at the wedding feast of Cana. Where the steward says, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. What might it mean there? It means there the excellent wine, the preeminently excellence, the preeminent excellence of Jesus Christ. William Hendrickson points out that it can be translated also as beautiful. He's the beautiful excellent good shepherd he he is divine when he says i am the good shepherd the spiritual old testament believer took him to mean that he was divine what does psalm 23 say the lord is my shepherd Jehovah is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does Psalm 81 say? And verse 1, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. If he claims to be a shepherd of Israel, the shepherd, the good shepherd, the excellent shepherd, the beautiful shepherd, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, who lead Joseph like a flock. You are enthroned upon the cherubim. Shine forth. <laughs> so the shepherd, the very first thing he, he, he's claiming to be is divine. He's claiming to be God. But what I want to show uh, 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 from the very start, and it is the very essence of this entire passage, is that Jesus has an unparalleled, unequaled position as the shepherd. He's the only one in his class. There's no other group around him. He has no peers. He is the preeminent, excellent, beautiful one. He is a shepherd in the sense that nobody else could ever be what he is. There's not another like him. He is unique in this way. He is the divine, excellent, beautiful good shepherd of Israel. And that's what this text is going to preeminently emphasize. This brings us to our third point then. Actually, points three through seven. He is a contrast, a contrast 
shepherd. He is a sacrificial shepherd. He is an intimate shepherd. Let's first talk about how he is a contrast shepherd, all, all, although sacrificial comes first, because that's going to be our emphasis this morning. In, in verse 12, it says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. And cares nothing for the sheep. Clearly, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin are all in this category. Did any of these guys show any interest in the lame man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5? Did, did they have any compassion? Did they have any pity for the woman found in Adultery, who was caught in it in, in John chapter 8. They wanted to stone her. And Jesus said, He who has no sin, let him be the first to cast. Let him be first to cast a stone. Did they care about anything but their own reputation? What about the blind man? The congenital blind man from birth in John chapter 9. Did they care about their hirelings? All they cared about was their own reputation, their own position, the honor of men, and what they could do before the eyes of men. They, are, they were not true shepherds. These, uh, this same spirit is, is carried even down uh, to this very day. There are those that preach a prosperity gospel, which is no real gospel at all. There are leaders of social clubs that do not preach the gospel. They call their church a church, but it is merely a social moral gathering. They are false prophets. And see, these, what did they do? What did they do in order to protect themselves, what did they do when the sheep are scattering? What did they do? How do they serve themselves? Well, they flee. They flee in order to protect and defend themselves. And, of course, this has fatal consequences for their sheep because they don't have a shepherd then. They... They don't have a good shepherd. People do what they do because of what they are. The hireling does this, Jesus says, because he doesn't own the sheep. He's after the money. That's all he wants. He doesn't love the sheep. The hireling acts according to his, his character. He's after the wage and the money. He runs in order to preserve himself. But contrary-wise, we can give you, who, those of you who don't know Jesus, why are we the way we are? How do we explain ourselves? We explain ourselves by telling you that we are Christians. And we are followers of Jesus. And we can't be anything else than what we are. And that's why we act this way. That's why we have an unusual amount of joy. That's why we can't stand sin. That's why we fight with it. That's why we like being with the people of God. That's why we hug each other and sometimes kiss each other. That's why we do that. That's why we want to give and share and pray. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we do everything. Because we are Christians and, and that's who God has made us to be. We praise God for that. We act according to the new nature that we have. And you know that. You know that we are different. We, you know that there is a contrast between us and, and the world. It's not as great as we'd like it to be. But it is substantial. It is real. It is substantive. It is observable. It is convincing. Isn't it? It is. Well... That's how we 
explain ourselves. Jesus is not a hireling. He does what he does for the sheep because of his immense love for them. He does not have to be paid. He does not have to have a wage. He needs no salary. Jesus is that beautiful Savior with the unparalleled, super abounding love. He and his Father are on exactly the same track. He's doing exactly what, what God the Father wants him to do. So you observe then in, in the fourth place that, that he is a sacrificial shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Here, Jesus stands apart from and above all other shepherds. Here is the deepest secret of Jesus as the good shepherd. This is so deep. Laying down his life, yes, it, it, it can be said it was like taking off a garment. That's what he did. If his life uh, was a garment, it's, it's as if he just took it off and laid it down freely, voluntarily. He did it under no compulsion. He did it because he wanted to. He's laying down his life for the sheep. It may be translated instead of the sheep. He's laying down his life on behalf of the sheep. You can translate that word for in at least two other ways. This is, this is substitution. This is taking the place of sinners. This is the most precious doctrine in my humble opinion of the word of God. Jesus taking the place of sinners. It is so wonderful. I couldn't believe it. I, it was too wonderful for me. I, didn't, I could not see how anyone would die for me. I could see him dying for you, but not for me. I was such a sinner, such a wretched sinner. There's nobody here who sinned as much as I did. The most unlikely person to be standing up here is Keith Maddy. Isn't that absurd? Substitutionary death brings it to pass. Christ laid down his life for me. I can scarcely take it in. There's no savior like him. No one else like Jesus in a category all by himself. Verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus' death was complete. His laying down his life, it was completely voluntary. He endured it all. It was not Judas. It was not Caiaphas. It was not Pilate. It was not Herod. It was not the, the crowd that delivered him up. It was none of those things. It was not the nail. It was all those nails. It was not the crown of thorns. You could not take his life from him. He could not bleed to death. When Christ died on the cross, in Matthew 27, 50, it says, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice. I don't know what he said. But he did not die in weakness. He didn't die because his life was ebbing away. He died in victory. He said something victorious, I'm sure. And then it says he yielded up his spirit. He freely gave it. Jesus was not dying as a martyr. 
He was not dying uh, as an example to others of what they should do, although you might find an example in it. He was dying willingly, voluntarily, completely laying down his life for his sheep. He's the one who said in John 2.19, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So when the text says this charge I received from my father, it's equal uh, to what Paul says of him in Philippians 2.8 and being found in the form, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became obedient to the Father, even to this extent, this charge, this commandment. He was willing to fulfill it. John 6.37 says, All that the Father gives me, He's in concert. He's in step. He's tracking completely with his Father. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The charge that he received from his Father is to receive all the sheep that he gave him, that he was giving him, that he was yet to give him. For I have come down from heaven. This is the summary of his life. Not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is that unique Savior. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on on the last day. William Lenski uh, makes this observation uh, between verses E. 11 and 14. He says the hireling, and you can see this in your Bible, the hireling is mentioned twice, and so is the wolf. Two times for the hireling, two times for the wolf. And both times they are surrounded by the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. They are consumed by his life. So we've seen that we have a shepherd, we have a good shepherd, we have a contrast shepherd, we have a sacrificial shepherd. Now number five is the intimacy, the intimacy of, of the shepherd. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life. For the sheep. Jesus says, I know my own. That's what it says. I know my own. There is a silent contrast between those who are not his own and those who do not know him. His own know him. All of you who are Christians, you all know the Lord. I don't have to say to you, know the Lord. Carl, know the Lord. That's absurd. He would say, what are you talking about? You know I know the Lord. We all know the Lord in this super spiritual, indescribable way. We know him. And he knows us. And it's not just a head knowledge that he has of us. To know, for him to know us, according to Ritterboss, is, is to know with a love and an appropriation as being his own. To reveal that loving ownership by corresponding actions. That's what Jesus has done. He, he, he knows us. He loves us. He appropriates us. He, he shows us by his corresponding actions that he loves us. And the same goes true for God's people. Ritterboss uh, goes on to say, the people's knowledge of God means that they know him as their God. And themselves, he fast forwards it to the highest of blessings. And he says, they know for themselves that they are adopted. That they are, that, that, that they are loved by God as a father. They're in the family of God. They know that. He goes on to say that 
They act in faith, and in the consciousness of being called, they act in obedience. That's what we do. I'll tell you, and you know this, if we could obey God perfectly from now on, if we could never sin again, if he offered that to us, I'll tell you unbelievers this, we have no affection for sin. If he would take it all away from us right now, If that could happen, we would say, let it happen. Bring it to me. That's what I want. That's what I'm fighting for. That's what I want so badly. We would take it. Jesus says in in verse 15, as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life uh, for the sheep. That's the kind of knowledge. It's not exactly the same thing. But yes, it is a real knowledge. Jesus knows the Father perfectly and infinitely and eternally. But there's something analogous to, there's something related to the knowledge that they have of each other and the knowledge that we have of him. It is spiritual. It is real. It is clear. It is lasting. Although it is limited, it will always be limited. We will never fully and completely know God. That's part of the joy and gladness of heaven. We'll we'll be learning more and more about him, this infinite being. We will always be finite. But right now, the way that we know Jesus, the knowledge that we have of him, is something like the knowledge that they have of each other. We have, been, we have been joined to Christ in this secret, spiritual, deep, real, abiding, everlasting way. We know Jesus. We will never lose him. We will never forget him. And so, with this intimate knowledge, number six is, it is effectual. Verse 16 says, And I have other sheep, not of this fold, I must bring them also. I, I have to read it like this. I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is not a big jump. This is what the text is saying. This is all about missions. This is what missions is. Jesus already has them. Look at it. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold right here with me now. There are other folds. There are folds. I'm going to say there are folds all over the earth. And Jesus says there's going to be one flock. I'm going to gather them all. They're mine. He says it already. They're going to listen. They will hear my voice. That is the basis for missions. Bring the word of God and there's already a people who are going to hear it and believe it. There are people that he says are already his sheep. And they will hear. They will listen. They will be saved. And they'll hear it through the preaching of the word of God. Hallelujah. That's what missions is. It is being on mission with Jesus. He already has the people. They're already his. All that's needed is, is, is for them to hear his voice through the word of God. They'll listen and they'll believe and they'll be one flock. He says in verse 25... To the unbelieving Pharisees, to to his detractors, he he says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do, I do in my Father's names. These bear witness about me. But you do not believe. These are the saddest words. You do not believe because you're not of my flock. He doesn't say you're not of the fold. You may appear to be in the fold here, but the one flock that I'm talking about, you are not a part of it. This is 
This is election. This is God's choice. God chooses a numberless multitude uh, for salvation. He leaves others out. He leaves them to their preference. This is the beautiful, glorious doctrine that we cannot do without. We must have it. God must choose. God must establish who his sheep will be or there will be no sheep. Verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You have heard the voice of Jesus, not audibly. I'm not saying he can't do that. He did that for Paul. He can still do that if he wants to. But you heard it just as really and just as effectually and, and just as clear in your heart, in your mind. You've heard his voice and you cannot stop following. Praise God for that. But I don't want anybody here who hears my voice right now. I don't want anybody here to be afraid of the doctrine of election. Don't be afraid of that. What, e- what election teaches you is that you must go to God, that salvation is in God. And if you're here now, you've been chosen. I can't say you've been chosen for salvation, but you, you, you're elect. You've been chosen to hear the gospel. You've been chosen to be in a place where you know there are scads of believers. You've been chosen to be under the care of godly pastors. We are not charlatans. We are not fakes. We are not false prophets. We want you to check everything out in the word of God. Test us against it all. You've been chosen for all of that. You've been chosen to be in a godly family. You've got godly parents. You've got at least one godly parent. You've been chosen for that. Some of you have had a Christian education. You've been chosen for all kinds of stuff. Others have not been chosen for those things. You have been chosen. Choose Jesus. Choose Christ. You will never find out whether you are elect or not until you call upon the name of the Lord. And then you'll know that he chose you. You'll know it, and you'll be sure of it. it. Do it. Just do it. What you are refusing to come under the power of are the outstretched arms of God, seen in your family, seen in your education, seen in the place where you're sitting right now, seen among the believers that are here. You have all of that. You know Christian people. You're not in a place where you've never heard the name of Jesus. You're you're not in any such place like that. You're not in a place where you're hearing the prosperity gospel. You're, You're not in a social club. You're in a real church with real believers and real pastors and the Word of God and real hymns that that are all biblically based. You got it all. Get Jesus you got to call upon his name. Please do it. My urging it like this will not do it. It won't do it. He has to do it. Call upon his name. Ask for the Holy Spirit to convict you of, of, of your sins. That you'll call upon the only Savior, the only shepherd who died for them. You have no other hope. You've got to do it. Lastly, then, we are secure. He says in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This is an unparalleled shepherd. Nobody can get into the hand that holds the sheep of God. My father who has given them to me in verse 29 is greater than all. No one can snatch him out of my father's hands. Wow, what peace. What peace. What joy. Eternal life is yours. You are held by Jesus Christ himself. When he makes the claim that I and the father are one, it's because they are. They are one in their essence. They're one in their purpose. They're one in their will. They're one in their 
You're being held by him. And then he says, my father's hands as well. No one can snatch them out of my father's hands. They are one in nature, perfection, and glory. You remember what uh, Jesus said to Philip in John 14 and verse 9 coming up. Have I been with you so long and you still, not, you still don't know me, Philip? This is one of my favorite texts in all the Bible. One of them. I've got maybe five or six like this. Have I been with you so long and you still, do, and, and, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What is the Father like? He's like Jesus. Whatever you see in Jesus, that is what the Father is like. Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. Exact. That's who he is. Arthur Pink says, for your security, I really like this. He says, the hand of Christ is beneath us, and the hand of the Father is above us. Thus, we are secure between the hands of omnipotence. Hallelujah. That's how we are. That's where we are. We'll never be lost. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what hard providence comes. You will never let go of God. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for you in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. What, what, what else can he say? He's already said it all. He is the un, unparalleled shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He directs me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. His rod and staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table in the presence of mine enemies. He anoints my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. If you feel that you have a need, I go back to the beginning. If you have a felt need and you have this shepherd, you will know no want. You may want what you feel. You may want a relationship. You may want a position. You may want something. You may want something that everybody else has. Lots of people have it. You don't have it. It's a good thing. It's a biblical thing. But it's something that, that, that he doesn't want you to have. That you don't have it and you've asked for it. You begged for it. He won't let you have it. But your Christian, as you perceive it, your Christian brothers and sisters have it. You don't have it. But he says you'll not want. He's going to give you something better. He will, I promise you. He will give you the better thing that is better than what you feel you need. He will give you what you really need. And what you really need, 
is more of him. If you lack something that you feel you need, whether it's in health or, or, or economically or relationally, your marriage, your kids, there's something, a position that you'd like to have, there's something that you'd like to do, but you don't get to do it. You don't get to have it. He'll give you himself. He'll give you more of himself. And some of you are finding that out. And that's what we have found out. We have found out through the two providences that have come our way that are so huge. We have found this out from Justin and Rebecca. You know what I did? Because I wanted to use them as an illustration. I asked Rebecca, has God, has God caused you answer me the way you want to. Don't give me the answer I want to have. She wasn't going to do that anyway. Has God caused you to be thankful that he took Ezra Blaze Klein uh, to himself? Has God caused that? Without hesitation, she said, Pastor Keith, God has given us faith. We have faith. And we believe that he will bring us to that place where we will be thankful. We're not there yet, but we believe that we will be there. <laughs> what is wanting, what is taken away, God has given them more of himself. Tremendous. Have you ever seen a sister like Joy Malone? Godly woman. We would expect everything good to come to her. That is what's coming. This cancer. Have you heard her complain? Have you seen her diswrought? Have you seen any desperation? Or have you seen her follow the word of God? Call for the elders of the church. Anoint me with oil. Pray over me. Whatever happens, God's grace is sufficient. And he wants to show some of you, eventually all of you, that he is altogether sufficient for you. If you're like I am, I'll just be really transparent and then I'll stop. I've got one more quote. If God were to ask me, you know, I, I've never said this to God, but I'm actually, if, if, if you're as weak as I am, you might say, you know, um, God, I, it'd be okay... It'd be okay um, if, if I could exchange a little bit of heaven for a little bit more joy down here. If you'd have fixed something for me down here, I'd be glad to give up a little heaven. Maybe you've never thought that. I have thought that, okay? I never said that to God, but I have thought that. But you know what God says to me on his word is, no way. No way. You don't know what you're trading for. You don't have the slightest idea of what suffering and what trouble and affliction that is working an eternal weight of glory for you. Not going to let you do it. I'm going to give you something on the other side that, that is far better, that exceeds your ability to imagine it, to embrace it, or to understand it. I'm going to leave you as you are. I'm not going to take any heaven away from you. That's, that's where we can find ourselves. Let me just read you this, this quote from Facebook and we're done. You know, somebody said, me and my Facebook, we will serve the Lord. And, and that's what I want to do with mine. But me and whatever else you want to put, me and my house, me and my car, me and my money, me and anything I have, we will serve the Lord. This person says, or this quote says, I asked for strength and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. I asked for wisdom and God gave me problems to solve. I asked for prosperity and God gave me and and. And God gave me a brain and energy to work. I asked for courage and God gave me danger to overcome. I asked for love 
and God gave me troubled people to help. I asked for favors, and God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted, but I received everything I needed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we glorify your name. We praise you with all of our hearts for the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in whom we find all of our wants, all of our needs supremely met. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for his intercessory work. We thank you for the permanent, secure salvation we have. We thank you for the success that the gospel will have on the earth in every generation and in the generation that we are living in. Because Jesus said, I have other sheep. We know that they're in India and they're in the Middle East. They're in Africa. They're in South America. They're in the unreached people groups of, of, of the earth. You've got sheep. You've said so. Bring them. Oh, God, bring them. Send us. Send others. Send indigenous pastors. Bring, bring the glory to Jesus Christ, we pray. Make us a missional church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for every lost sinner here that has heard these words. Work in their hearts. May they hear your voice. Speak, Lord. They'll hear you. Come, irresistible Holy Spirit, and save them this very day. Give them the eyes, the ears, the hearts to believe upon Jesus. We ask it for his glory and praise. Amen.